Bryce returns, Biden speaks, Buttigieg surges, and blossoms bloom. All this and more on Three C's. Three C's in a Pod, a weekly podcast from Provision Advisors. A look at the good, the bad, and the what could be better in the world of communication. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. I'm your host, Bashan Mann, and with me on the show are Chris Savello and John Schofield, as always. We thank you for joining us this week. For more of the Provision Conversation, follow us on Twitter and give us your thoughts at ProV Advisors. That's P-R-O-V Advisors. Or you can check us out on the web, www.provisionadvisors.net. As always, we look forward to hearing from you. Let's begin today's show with Rearview and go for our patented Grade the Performance segment. We're going to start off with local news, and we're going to look at the Phillies coming to town to face the Nationals. Gentlemen, we got a couple of things to talk about, particularly Bryce Harper returning to the Phillies, facing his, uh, his old team, the Washington Nationals. We want to grade Bryce's performance, the Nats fans' response, and Mayor Bowser deleting a tweet. So, uh, Chris, you're first up. Uh, how do you look at uh, Bryce Harper returning um, in a Phillies uniform this week? Yeah, I mean, I hate the Phillies, and I hate the Nationals, and I hate Bryce Harper. So, uh, wow. Yeah, so that said. <laughs> uh, Agreed. Well, 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 well. <laughs> so I, But that said, I thought from a baseball standpoint, I, I thought Bryce um, in the two games they played, I'd give him an A. From a PR standpoint, in a, in a larger brand, um, handling the public both in Philly and here, mm-hmm. I'd give him an A-. minus. I thought he did well. He did better than I thought he would do. Okay. All right. How about the uh, Nats fans' response? I mean, there's going to be people that want to boo because they're upset. There's going to be people that want to boo because now he's a Philly, and like me, they hate the Phillies. Um, and then there are people that that you know remember the eight years of having Bryce. Um, so I, I mean, I I give the Nats fans a pass. It's it's April. I thought they handled it fine. Okay. All right. Last up is the uh, the deleted tweet from Mayor Bowser. So I, you know, just to set the scene. Um, Mayor Bowser tweeted out a picture of uh, Benedict Arnold with Bryce Harper's head on it mm-hmm. um, and then quickly deleted it. I mean, like within minutes, right? I mean, the, the tweet yes. was gone. I actually give her tweet an A um, and I give her deleting of the tweet a D. Mm-hmm. Um, I think she should have stood by it. I mean, good for her. I mean, she's known to have personality and known to, to be a Nats fan. And uh, I, don't, I don't think people would have taken that tweet poorly had she left it up i think it looks odder now that she deleted it got it got it john we're going to run you through the same sequence where are you on bryce's performance last night the nats fans overall and what mayor bowser did with her tweet i I give bryce an a uh just for the moonshot home run it was it was epic that that thing uh, if you you stuck around for the eighth inning and withstood the rain delay you saw it Oh, I mean, that thing needed a flight attendant on it. I mean, he destroyed <laughs> that ball. Um, so I, I, I obviously give that performance an A. Um, I give his his approach to the whole thing an A. I, I think that he was the benefactor of an early series. You get it out of the way. Right. Um, it, it's good that they're division rivals. They get to see him all year long and all the vitriol will subside. But having it, having it, out of the way early on, I think really is going to help both sides move on um, and, and really helped him. If he would have, if he would have come in there, like maybe the fourth or fifth or 10th series of the year and, and God forbid, if he was struggling, you know, hitting 200, I I think the fan reaction probably would have gotten to him and he would have, 
he would have had an even tougher time. As far as the fan reaction writ large, I don't know. It, it, did, did people really love him that much? You're a pretty young franchise still. And it's, um, and it's DC Sports. I mean, there are no such thing as DC Sports fans. I'm sorry. Yeah. It, it, Whoa, hashtag Mike Wilbon. <laughs> you're, you're stealing my thunder there that oh, I, find, I find DC Sports fans, and I'm a lifelong University of Maryland fan and season ticket holder, and there is no more terrible human being on the planet than a Maryland uh, basketball fan. Uh, Maryland fans, Washington Redskins fans, Nationals fans, I, I will paint them with a broad brush and say that they're so quick to get angry, so quick to buy Super Bowl tickets, so quick to vote them off the island. Mm -hmm. Everything everything is in extremes. Everything is the end of the world or it's the best day they've ever had. There, there's no middle ground. There's no context. There's no calm. And that's why I, like Chris, hate the Nats and most specifically hate their fans. As, as far as the tweet goes, I don't know. I, I, I know that she's trying to seem like, yeah, like she's a, 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 just a regular Joe, a, a, member of the, a member of the people, and, and she can taunt baseball players as well. I, I just, I'd really love for elected officials to, to just stop doing crap like that. It, it, it's right from that Donald Trump era of, tweeting out you know all these all of these insults to to guys making fun of how skinny their necks are or making fun of this or criticizing that stop doing that you're an elected official run the city don't don't worry about what Bryce Harper is doing or not doing but right. in, in terms the hold on I just want to push back slightly sure, in, sure. in terms of being true to her brand and who she appears to be. I, I'm not a DC resident. Um, I only know what I see of uh, Mayor Bowser on TV. But I mean, she does kind of seem that when it comes to uh, sports and other cultural aspects of the city, she does seem like she's got a sense of humor and, and wants to play along. And so, I mean, I don't know that it's completely out of character for her. You still don't like that, John? I mean, even if it's authentic, you just, you want her focused on, you know, fix the parking signs and get rid of all those uh, those speeding cameras on 295. Yeah, if I'm if I'm gonna tweet information out, I would say that DC has a lot more problems than than Bryce Harper and and again, just like the Sarah ha Sanders <coughs> Minnesota Avenue with the <laughs> you know, like when when Sarah Huckabee Sanders tweeted out the the bracket of of pundits who got it wrong with the Mueller report, like how much time did Muriel Bowser and her staff spend on, spend on that, on that jiffy or on that, uh, on that um, picture or, or on the tweet itself. Great. Point. Um, and, and, and I'm going to, I'm going to do the whole, you know, do as I say, not as I do thing. If, if I was uh, the, you know, the very liberal democratic Senator from the state of Maryland, I'd absolutely tweet about the Baltimore. Orioles. <laughs> but, um, but it, I, in that case, I, I give her tweet and the deletion of the tweet a, a D minus, what I used to get in physics in college. <laughs> Understood. Listen, real quick from my end, uh, I look at Bryce uh, and the Phillies coming to town as a, a Muhammad Ali smoking Joe Fraser fight. Uh, did Bryce get the upper hand on that, on that first game coming back, hitting that home run in the eighth? Sure. Um, but looking at Scherzer striking him out, uh, in that first, uh, in that first at bat, uh, I also think um, you know had a 
had a little bit of, of, of energy to it. So, I mean, I'll, I'll give it a B. Uh, the Nats fans, you know, the, the amount of booing that they gave, hey, look, um, some of them are disappointed. Um, here was, you know, we, we had this guy, we had him for the, for the four straight years or, or four playoff appearances uh, that the Nationals went to, and now he's not with us, so they're disappointed and they're hurt or whatever. Uh, so I understand. And I, as far as I'm concerned, I, what we just discussed in, in, in terms of Mayor Bowser in that tweet, uh, on the one hand, I wish you wouldn't have deleted it. You draw more attention, uh, I think, in this case, to, to her deleting the tweet. Uh, on the other hand, like, look, it'd be nice if she didn't even participate in, in that sort of Michigas anyway. Um, and I, it begs the question, who is, I mean, we talked about the staff. Who exactly on the staff was, you know, came up to her and said, hey, you know what would be a really great idea is if you did this. Um, if you follow the Council of D.C., whoever's behind that is a bit of a, uh, a cheeky character, uh, get, has a little bit of a following in their tweets. I wonder if it's, uh, if it's the same person. I don't know that for a fact. Um, but I give, I, I, I give that uh, deleted tweet a D. Uh, moving on, gentlemen, let's look at, um, we can't call him a, a presidential candidate because he hasn't jumped into the race yet. Uh, but former Vice President Joe Biden, a little bit of, of pressure, uh, felt, felt the heat uh, and came out with a video uh, that we saw today uh, talking about, um, I guess, inappropriate touching, invading personal space. Uh, was it something that he needed to do? Uh, do you feel that um, he could have, have pressed on without it? Uh, in what grade do we give the video? John, I'll start with you. I'm sure you've seen this video. Do you feel Joe Biden um, had to come out with this video? Well, I, I think the release of the video means one thing, that he's running. If he wasn't running, who gives Good a point. shit? Good point. Um, so now you, you've shown your cards that you're obviously running and you need to, you need to squelch this before it becomes too big. Um, and the video itself, I, I honestly didn't think he needed to do it. Uh, I, I think he needs to understand and, and see, as, as we've been talking about for weeks, how quickly things fade out of the conversation uh, in this news cycle. And, and what yeah. Is the Virginia governor. It, yeah, exactly. So it, it, have we even heard the name Ralph Northam in, in weeks? Uh, the whole it's thing, not. yeah, the whole thing went away. And, and for Joe Biden, I think that this thing goes away too. A, a lot of people always thought it was just this hokey and funny thing that he always did, creepy Joe, quote unquote, you know, putting his hands on people, being being really touchy-feely. But again, in the grand scheme of things, is he as big of a creeper or scumbag as the current guy in the Oval Office? No. And, and, and again, uh, it, we, can, we can edit this out if we want, but the last time I checked, I didn't hear Joe Biden say that, you know, all you had to do was grab him by the... So, you know, the, the, the issue for me is let it go, let, let, it, let it fade from the conversation, declare your candidacy, and, and drive on from there. You need to know that this current news cycle um, lets things go away, particularly things like that. So I give the video, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get pretty carnal here, uh, no pun intended. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it an F. Uh, I didn't think it was necessary, didn't need to do it. Put yourself out there a little bit more than you should have. Uh, as far as his candidacy goes, which is now a foregone conclusion, I give the candidacy an A, and we'll talk about it later. I say he gets Mayor Pete on board as his VP. Noted. Chris, you're up. 
I do think he needed to do the video um, only because I don't think they handled the statements very well. I think it was clumsy. Um, I think there were two or three statements that they just didn't get right. And I think that whether it was the former vice president or whoever is advising him felt like, okay, we need to hear from uh, the, the vice president on this. And that in a way that um, the statements just weren't getting it done. And then, so you're left with, hey, do I sit him down with, you know, Gail King, a la R. Kelly, or, you know, do I, do I put him on, uh, you, you know, 60 Minutes or something like that? And all the baggage that goes with that type of interview. I, so I thought the interview, I'd, I'd give him a B, B plus. Um, I, I thought it was smart only because, and I, I agree with John, only because of how they handled the the statements in in the days that the story or you know the day the days that immediately followed the story breaking so i, I give him a b plus um because i do think he needed to do it now i i'll tell you i mean just uh i don't know if i'm a conspiracy theorist that that role is normally played by john on this podcast but i don't think this goes away and i i don't think it goes away because i think that there are his fellow candidates are going to use this as their wedge issue. They're going to use this as a way of knocking uh, the former vice president down or trying to, um, you know, kind of reel him in, if you will, from that early lead that he has. Um, so I think we're going to hear more about this, even though the video may have helped. Uh, I think this continues to be an issue for the next several weeks and months. So I love that the Democrats are going to cut off their nose to spite their face. I, that's, right. what worries, that's what worries that's me. That's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> that's what um, worries me. I, I have a, my take on this, and, and I apologize for, for the, the nuance here. I want to give that thing an N for necessary and a D for doomed. Hmm. And that's just looking at where we are in this conversation. Because listening to whether it's um, Valerie Jarrett, uh, Mika Brzezinski, uh, other individuals who have uh, spoke about their, uh, their dealings with uh, the former vice president and saying what kind of person he is. And then in the video saying, you know, you know he himself saying that we are, um, or, or society is changing. Um, I, I don't know if that was the exact words he chose. Um, but it's not so much that in my, this is my opinion, that society is changing it's that we need to <laughs> you know we need to be aware of what's appropriate and what's not appropriate um society is changing i mean that doesn't make it any less uh appropriate or inappropriate you know when when you were doing it um uh, touching people on the shoulders or kissing them in the hair or whatever all that to say i i, I think Considering, you know, and John, you, you mentioned this earlier about a certain Access Hollywood tape in existence. And then on the other side of this, this parallel universe, we have this gentleman who was holding the office, uh, the second highest office in the land, uh, having to, to put out this video today, March 3rd, I'm sorry, April 3rd, uh, 2019. What, what? What? What are you talking about? Well, what are you talking about? It's only an issue if you care. And I think we've, we've talked about this on the show, right? I mean, if you're the president and you don't care um, and you don't have a problem with saying the things that you've said, despite your, you, you know, sort of weak public apologies, if you don't have a problem being associated with, you know, porn stars and Playboy uh, centerfolds and mm -hmm. 
uh, then then you know you've got a different calculus. If you do care, and if you if you're really worried about how people view you, then you have to do these videos, and you have to apologize, or you have to kind of deal with it in a way that the other guy or other gal who doesn't care doesn't have to. I think right. that's that's where we are. Which which is why I give it this grade of N for necessary and a D for doomed. That makes sense. Yeah, and I want people to stop caveating everything. And, and like you said, Bash, like. Oh, the, the, this is a different time. Times have changed. Standards have changed. No, don't don't caveat it with that. You're already building in this this completely weak ass excuse. Come out and say what I did was wrong. It has nothing to do with how standards have changed or how or how dynamics have changed in society. Stop building in your own excuses with these apology videos and statements. Come right out and say you're sorry, say you were wrong, and drive on. The caveats really pissed me off, and that's that's what I really disliked the most about his video. But I don't think he was sorry, right? I mean, I didn't... No, he didn't apologize. Yeah, no, I mean, I don't... Not. I think he's sorry that, like, it may be an issue for him, and he's sorry that what he believes is appropriate behavior may not be um, thought of in the same way by other people now who are going back and looking at videos and stills of it. Um, yeah, and, and that's why I say, don't do the effing video then. Then yeah. shut up. If you don't believe it, don't, don't throw something weak out there that's filled with all these caveats. Just shut up and let it go. And if Pete Buttigieg or, or Kamala Harris or, or Beto O'Rourke or anyone wants to bring it up to you in a debate or in any kind of public back and forth and deal with it then but don't put out a video now that's just it, i just thought it was weak gentlemen we're going to keep this thing moving here our last topic is going we're going to look at campaign finance and who raised what and how much uh give a grade across the board um i do believe we've got uh senator sanders with uh in the first quarter here uh raising upwards of 18 million in six weeks uh kamala harris raising 12 million uh, Better O'Rourke around 9.4, and the uh, the good mayor Buttigieg uh, with seven million. Uh, I will get um, I will get some other numbers here as we as we continue talking. Uh, but first up, Chris, uh, just give a grade across the board. Um, who gets an A? Who gets a B? Uh, and so on. What do you see? So I think all those folks that you named at the top get A's, and I think everybody else gets a D or an F. Um, it's panic time if you weren't on that list of folks that you just rattled off. Um, the, the interesting thing about that list, that's all based on small money donations, right? So it's not PAC money. It's not like somebody came in and penned a check or, you, you know, they've been kind of building this up over time. I mean, these, this is kind of the, and, and I'm not a campaign finance, finance expert, but I will play one on this podcast. Yes. Uh, so uh, this to me talks about the grassroots strength that this group of uh, four or five, depending on how far you get down the list, has in, in terms of reaching the, the base. The, um, the rest of the folks, particularly Elizabeth Warren, I, I think this is a time now to really take note of this and uh, to start to uh, you know, re-strategize um, you know, what next quarter will look like. Um, because this is gonna drive headlines, it's gonna drive confidence, it's gonna drive how serious people take you um, so while the money in terms of spending power or need, you could argue, you know, this early do doesn't matter in terms of how serious a candidate you are. 
um, it, it is quite uh, quite important. Uh, in terms of uh, you know Mayor Pete, um, you know we were talking before we came on the air. While I, I do think he's got an impressive campaign effort and uh, he's really true to his brand, he kind of really didn't have anywhere to go but up. So mm-hmm. I mean, he's got a pretty high ceiling. Uh, you know I, I expected him to continue to uh, to grow. If you look at a guy like Biden or uh, some of the others that had pretty strong name recognition, I mean, they don't really have anywhere to go but down. So, I mean, I expect this is going to tighten both in terms of money and in terms of popularity. I, I think we're in for an exciting race between now and uh, the, the, you know, the primary season in uh, 19 and 20. Certainly. John, what to say you? Uh, I agree with Chris. I think that everyone on that list, it, the list isn't necessarily surprising. Um, it's a very early um, temperature gauge on on where these uh, on where these candidates are and how they're doing in terms of attracting dollars. Um, like Chris said, this is small money donations. Uh, the the Koch brothers are on the Republican side; they're not on the Democrat side, so that's why those that's why those millions are so low. Um, but I digress. The the my A plus 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 Christmas story plus 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 goes to uh, to Mayor Pete. I, again, I, I hate pointing people to other podcasts other than ours, but listen listen to his interview on Pod Save America, um, where John Favreau sat down with him for it was like an hour and ten minute interview, and all I knew about Mayor Pete was that he was a Rhodes Scholar. Um, he was the mayor of South Bend, and he was in the military. Uh, I didn't really know too much beyond that. Uh, but, wow, I, I came away from that interview incredibly impressed with him. Um, but as you guys well know, I'm, I'm easily incredibly impressed. So the, uh, the idea of Pete taking this and driving it forward, I don't think it results in anything that's going to be substantive in terms of, of a real presidential chance. But I think he makes himself extremely attractive to Biden or Kamala Harris or someone like that as a possible running mate when this all shakes out. One thing to point out in 2007, at the same time, uh, you had Hillary Clinton uh, 10 points ahead uh, on Barack Obama in that uh, 2008 run uh, for president, for the president. So uh, just something to, to, to take note. We are very early uh, in this thing and we're going to continue. Uh, this conversation. One thing I will also note um, is the the individuals who seemingly uh, have jumped on board uh, with Mayor Pete uh, and saying he was the the this quote unquote winner, uh, and then of course overlooking uh, Kamala Harris uh, as a as a a front running front running uh, woman in this race. Just something to pay attention to. Uh, I know as we come off the the heels of the uh, the Hillary Clinton uh, run up for presidency. That was Rearview, a spirited discussion, as always. Uh, Listen, folks, we look back, and now it's time for us to push it ahead. Uh, We'll be right back with Deep Dive. You're listening to Three Season of Pod. Provision Advisors, we prepare your team for the what-ifs you never thought you'd encounter. Let us help solve your toughest communication challenges and leave your team stronger and more capable for the opportunities that lie ahead. And we're back on Three Season of Pod, and it's time for Deep Dive. Friends, if you're in the communications business like we are here at Provision Advisors, you're going to have to work with media. It's just a part of our business, our day-to-day. And one such element is going to revolve around pitching a story. So, given that, what are some of the do's and don'ts to delivering a story to a media outlet or reporter? That's going to be the focus of this week's Deep Dive. 
Chris, as we look at pitching a story, um, you, you're, you're in an organization, you want to, uh, you want to pitch an idea uh, to a media outlet, to a specific reporter. Uh, what are the, some of the things that you're going to look for? So before I jump in and kind of give the three things that I think of and then go through some of the tricks of the trade, I, I will say that this is not as well known, I, I think, as most people would, would believe it is. Uh, okay. The three of us grew up doing a lot of media. Um, it was part of our day-to-day -day job. But if you're a, a communicator and a PR professional working in an agency or working in an in-house uh, effort, you may not have done um, a, the lion's share of the media, depending on which uh, which division you're in or which which type of uh, business that that your uh, your company does. So mm -hmm. uh, I think this is a great segment. John and I were talking about this uh, earlier in the week that you know both of us found ourselves talking to clients about how to kind of pitch events and pitch ideas and and get people interested. So. For me, I, um, I, I kind of think of three things that uh, I, I recommend people remember. One is have a relationship. Um, if the first time you're picking up the phone to call a member of, uh, of the media is when you're trying to pitch them a story, um, it's probably not going to go very well. So you want to make sure that you've built a relationship with that station, with that paper, even if it's not with that reporter. I would recommend trying to build the relationship with the reporter before you call them. But if you can't, have some connection, have somebody introduce you, leverage some relationship to get yourself in the door. Uh, the second is know the value of what you're pitching. Um, so many times talking to people that we know in the media, people pick up the phone and they pitch them garbage. Garbage either from a thematic standpoint, garbage from, uh, you know, it doesn't uh, live up to the audience expectations or garbage because it doesn't, it's just not able to come together. It's kind of pie in the sky. You pitch an idea and you want the reporters to, uh, to do all the work. So really understand the value, put some time into making sure that what you're pitching is valuable before you pick up the phone. And then that flows into the third point, make it as easy as possible. Have your subject matter experts lined up, have a story arc that you think works for both you and the reporter don't just make it your own story arc where it's you know you're spinning or um, or flacking to the reporter make it a, a narrative that they will buy into and that that fits your needs um, think about um, all of the other elements of the story so if you can have that relationship if you know the value of what you're pitching and you put some time into it and you make it easy then selling a story or pitching a story should be pretty easy for both you and the media that you're talking to um, John, before I go to you, I just want to ask Chris one question. Some of the people that might be listening to this podcast are going to ask the question, well, how do I establish that relationship? Like you, you, you guys talk, you know, you, you guys have been in this for a while. You, you, you've been doing this for years and you know who to just reach out and call. But if I'm just starting in this business or I'm thinking about, you know, gosh, I, I, I'd like to, to, to pitch this uh, to someone who I don't know. Is there is there a trick to that? Is there a way in which that you know you can say this is a this this is going to work? This is a clear cut way in order to establish a relationship with that reporter uh, or that producer. Yeah. <laughs> well, go ahead, Chris. I, no. I'm I'm very opinionated on this part. No, no worries. I, I kind of I guess I have the same reaction. So one, I would say a very easy way to do it is to um, find a group like us or um, another group that's out there that that has relationships and and other tap into them formally or informally, either from a business deal or from a, uh, a mentor mentee relationship to help 
um, build your familiarity with the um, with the environment in which you want to operate in. But the best way to get good at doing and working and understanding media is to do and work and understand media. So um, understand what the beat that your particular product line or your particular line of effort um, is associated with and then reach out and find ways to um, either build that relationship online um, or, or in person or some combination of the both. Okay, all right, John? Yeah, I completely agree with Chris and, and I'll, I'll try to be as quick as I can here. It, it really time. is, it is all about relationships. In fact, I got into a spirited argument uh, within the chain of command in my state government job uh, because one of the public relations people above me in the chain discovered that I would, I had been talking with media in like an unofficial format mm -hmm. and just that it wasn't pitching a story. It wasn't around a, a, an official query. It was just that I had, that I had conversations with media because they were my friends and I was yeah. befuddled okay. at, at the assertion like, that they were surprised by that. Like, yeah, I talk to media all the time. There are members of the media who are my closest friends in the world. Um, and and I think the, the, the point there is that if you as a public affairs professional or you in a company are dealing with the media only when you want to pitch a story, then you're doing it wrong. Because my first day at the Naval Academy, I drove my ass down to the Annapolis Capitol and I introduced myself to every single reporter at the Capitol who I didn't already know. And I just talked to him and said, yep, I'm the new PAO. And, and this is what I, you know, this is where I'm coming from. And this is what we're going to try to do. And here's my number. You let me know if you ever need anything. And that's it. And then the second part of that relationship building is knowing your reporters. Um, I knew the, the reporters covering my beat. I knew who their favorite football teams were, who their favorite baseball teams were, if they had kids, if they were married, where they were from. And that way, when you were talking to them, it wasn't just this, I need you, you need me type of relationship. When I would call up a reporter before I pitched a story, I'd be like, hey, how, how was your kids' Little League game this past weekend? Or, hey, I saw that the Jaguars lost on Sunday. Sorry about that. You know, it, it, it just shows that you care about them as people. And that's not just that's not just dealing with reporters. That's just dealing with people in general. That's leadership 101. Right. Um, but, but being able to, to pitch a story depends a great deal on how well you know those reporters and how well you cultivate those relationships on the front end. Get to know them. Know parts of them, of their life story that does not involve writing a story about your company or about your issue. Um, and that's when you can really... Uh, you know, really benefit from those seeds um, that you plant uh, with them in terms of relationship building. And then, and then at that point, really, really be strategic about how you, the last thing I'll say about pitching a story is in one sense, you have to be strategic about the, uh, about the relationships you build and how you cultivate them. But then you really have to be strategic about when you pitch it to them. Okay. Uh, you know, like it, there are certain papers and certain reporters I know that if you pitch something to someone like seven days in advance, mm -hmm. they're, they're going to forget about it. Like they're just gonna be like, uh, I'm sorry, I've got 20 other fires to put out, uh, before I can deal with your issue seven days from now. And then so there are other times, follow through. 
yeah, I, I think you can plant something seven days in advance, but then, you know, take a look at what stories that reporter is working on and writing in the days in advance of your, of your pitch and when you want them to cover your event mm -hmm. uh, or write your story and then, and then pitch it to them at a time when they've got the bandwidth in order to deal with it. Um, and again, that, that all it takes is research and consideration. If you're a considerate human being to the reporters who, who are, who are writing your beat, then, then the hope is uh, that you'll get a considerate story in return. Bash, did you see the same, uh, you know, I think both John and I described a pretty set transactional relationship. I mean, in terms of, hey, we were at a particular, in the, this case, the Navy, a particular command or a particular assignment, and we had, you know, it was very kind of clear who um, the beat reporter is, either based on uh, geography or based on subject matter. Yes. Um, a little bit different in the, um, in, in the PR world, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you've seen it from both sides. Do you, could you talk a little bit about from the, you know, when you were at an agency, mm -hmm. Same is it different? What what was your view? Well, I think it gets a little bit more. I think I think the aperture opens up a little. So, from the standpoint of you know when we're sitting on the news desk or we're at a specific command, we know who has the beat. Like that that's one individual. If I say San Diego Union Tribune, if I say Navy Times, uh, we we know if you know is is it Gidget? Is it a Larder? Is you know just throwing out some some names there. We, we know exactly who has who has the story and we can pick up the phone and, and call them when you're at an agency you're like i said you're you're now you're fishing in a little bit of a larger pond um and you can you, you know you want to get that story out to as many outlets as possible which may be the same you know from the navy standpoint but uh from from an agency view it's where can i sell this darn thing um so you want to cast uh, as wide a net as possible. Uh, and that just means, again, do, you know, doing your homework. We've talked about this before. Uh, knowing who's in your city, knowing who's in the city uh, where this story is going to uh, be of some import uh, and not being afraid to pick up the phone uh, and reach out to people. And having a pitch, having a pitch ready uh, so that you're not sitting there on the phone with a whole bunch of, uh, uh, well, I think... Uh, no, be definitive, know that uh, these are the goals which you want to achieve, know how it's going to facilitate and how it's going to help uh, that particular news outlet um, reach their particular audience and put numbers on the board for them. The methodology and how you do it doesn't really change. Uh, again, it's just casting a bit of a wider net uh, to, get more, um, uh, to, to get more outlay. I want to just add a little bit more to what both of you said. I mean, I think sure. all of us, uh, you know, really foot stomped on relationships. And I, for us, I mean, that was so key, um, kind of flowing in and out of the Pentagon and knowing the Pentagon press corps and having those relationships. But I would say even beyond the personal side that John detailed uh, very well, um, our ability as communicators to provide context to those reporters on a variety of subjects. And I think this is what John was getting at when he talked about, um, you know, his, his previous job and that he was talking to reporters both from a personal standpoint, but also available to give them context, whether they'll use it in the a particular project that they're working on right this moment, or if it just kind of helps them do their day-to-day -day job. I, I think we have a responsibility as communicators in that relationship building and tending process to be 
stewards of that context. I mean, we, you know, they need to know that um, just like we can pick up the phone and pitch them a story, they need to know that they can pick up the phone and ask us a question in our general expertise. Agreed. And, and even if we're not selling a story, that we're going to get them an answer or point them in a direction that they need, or or just be able to share some of our uh, our experience so that that they learn. You know, it has to be a two way relationship. Um, it, it can't be one way. And I just see so many young communicators uh, or inexperienced communicators that really focus on that one way communication. Hey, I sent them a press release, or I tagged them in the tweet, or I called them up and I pitched them, and it was the best pitch in the world. And how come they don't care? Well, it's because when they called you, you didn't pick up the phone or you had nothing to say. Yeah, so yeah. You really got to get that two way down um, if you're going to make the most of this. It's Maybe about it's about back. being it's about being of value, being yeah. a, being a valuable gatekeeper. John, go ahead. And and I think that you can show that value in in myriad ways. You can show it by picking up the phone. You can show it by when you call them. Call them on days that you don't have something to pitch right. and you're just calling them. And this sounds sleazy like a used car salesman, unless you actually mean it. I call reporters all the time and just be like, hey, what's going on? Just checking in. How's everything going? What are you working on? Um, all right. Well, and, and you could almost hear the surprise in their voice like, oh, he was just calling to see what's up. Um, yeah, it, 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 again, you talk about it being transactional. I would hate for any relationship for a reporter to be too transactional. Now, word of warning that yeah, you can you need to make sure that the 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 line is clearly drawn. Still, that hey, you're not you're not boys, you're not buddies um, all the time, and that sometimes there's going to have to be a story written that's not so um, yeah that that isn't so good to you and doesn't reflect great on your organization. You can't then turn around and be like, Hey, well, what about all those times I called you and just said, what's up? Uh, you're, you're abusing, you're abusing the relationship. The, the last thing I'll say is I can't tell you how many times it's not in the form of a release. It's in the form of a really well-written email. And this is the context and perspective that Chris was talking about where you follow up your pitch to that reporter over the phone with an email that has all of the basic information for them, the etymology of this of this issue, the why it's a story, why it's important, some things for them to draw upon that spurs their interest to ask other questions um, and, and cover it a certain way. That's not necessarily a release, it's just an email um, and the content of said email helps that reporter understand exactly what is newsworthy about that particular story. And if you want them to reply to that email, do not put them in the BCC line. Make sure mm, that it's, you take mm. the time to send them an email. If you exactly. strap 100 people in the BCC line and you write the best email in the world, don't be surprised when no one gets back to you or nobody wants to do that story. I can, uh, I can see my phone lighting up right now. I know we're going to have to do a part two to this segment because I feel like we can, we can go on and on uh, about some of the, uh, the, good, or the better points of of pitching a story here, and, and I would love some feedback. Gentlemen, great discussion. Really appreciate your input, as always. Uh, friends, stay with us. We'll be back with On the Horizon. You're listening to Three Season of Five. At Provision Advisors, we specialize in strategic communication planning, execution, and coaching for senior-level leaders and communicators dedicated to achieving success. We work together with your team to achieve favorable outcomes amid contentious or controversial issues which directly impact relationships and market identity. Welcome back to 3Cs with Provision Advisors. 
it's time for us to look out on the horizon at what next week may bring. Your bracket may be busted, but the final four is upon us. So we're going to talk a little bit about what's left of your bracket. Uh, take a look at your final four. Also, Chicago has a new mayor. And if you've been hiding underneath a rock, let us let you know that most everyone is talking about the lead into Game of Thrones. So we're going to talk a little bit about that as well. But first up, John, what does your NCAA bracket looks like? Uh, how, are you, uh, how are you projecting this final four? Uh, well, my bracket was about to be really, really good. In fact, I had um, Auburn and Texas Tech in the Elite Eights. So I got three of the four final four teams in my, in my bracket in Texas Tech, Virginia, and Michigan State. I did not have Auburn. I had Kentucky beating Auburn. So I was close. I, and my, my, my sports predictions are, are working out here. But um, it, it, even more than the final four, uh, which is always very good and very exciting. And, and the lead-up to the Final Four I thought was great. Those Elite Eight games, as I talked about a couple of weeks ago, we knew that it was going to come down to chalk games that were going to destroy ratings. Duke, Michigan State, that Virginia finish, uh, hitting the shot at the end to send it to overtime. Phenomenal. Absolutely great basketball and great viewing. You're already starting to see it a little bit right now, but I think it's going to happen in earnest once the tournament's wrapped up. But almost more interesting than the tournament, you know, finals themselves is who goes where afterwards. You're already seeing the coaching carousel move around. Mm-hmm. But Buzz Williams leaving Virginia Tech for Texas A&M today. Um, you're already seeing the early entries, the transfers. So it's always a really interesting thing for me in in. The, the days and weeks after the final four to see how that carousel works. Um, but yeah, my, my prediction and you'll, and you'll love it, Pashan. I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be Virginia, um, nice. Virginia, Michigan state. And then I think it's going to be an absolute show, uh, Virginia, Michigan state in the, in the final, I can't predict the winner. Um, we'll have another pod. Um, well, no, we won't have another pod before then, but um but I'll just stick with Virginia, Michigan State right now. Yeah. Okay. Chris? I, like John, was very impressed by the Elite Eight games. Impressed by uh, just how great the competition was, uh, like the upsets, um, or excuse me, by the upsets. And um, I was really heartened to see just how well, we touched on it last week, but how well the tournament has done. Mm-hmm. Um, chalk equals ratings. It'll be interesting to see how the Final Four does because you've got – really only one big time program uh no offense to virginia but you know you got a a big time program in michigan state you've Mm -hmm. got a sort of upper medium program in virginia and then two football schools in auburn and in texas tech so will they bring an audience you know will the national audience that has been captivated by the run of zion and the upsets that that occurred uh elsewhere Will they stay with the tournament or will they go and watch something else uh, that, this weekend? Um, that, that's what I would like to watch uh, over the next week and kind of see how that uh, turns out. Um, I think I speak for all of us. I mean, we're pretty much hooked. So I'll be watching on Saturday and then Monday for the, uh, for the national championship game. Uh, it's well documented. Um, I, had, I had University of Virginia. I have University of Virginia uh, taking this thing all the way through. I think the storyline is there, uh, suffering the, the, the greatest, uh, most historic loss uh, in NCAA tournament history, uh, the first number one seed 
to lose to a 16 seed in, uh, in UMBC last year. I, I was sick over it. And I think the storyline is just set for them uh, to take this thing home. Just a, a complete 180, uh, drastic turnaround. I had the pleasure of, uh, of having Ted Jeffries in my home on Friday evening and had brunch with him again on Sunday. Uh, the great Ted Jeffries, number 42, number 42 on the, on, on the floor, number one in your hearts. Um, so it was great. It was great to watch, uh, to watch the games, uh, with him and, and listen to some of his stories with, with Jeff Jones, uh, as the coach and back with Corey Alexander, junior Burroughs and those guys, I'm, I'm, I'm going long here, but, uh, just to say that, look, I, I spent four years at the university of Virginia. Um, I know it's going to be, uh, hoping, uh, I see them getting past Auburn. Um, and wow, does, uh, does Bruce Pearl need a couple of shirts on the sidelines there? Good grief. <laughs> Moving on. Uh, hey, listen, uh, whether you notice it or not, Chicago uh, had an election yesterday. Uh, the city of Chicago has a, has a new mayor-elect. Gentlemen, were you paying attention to this race? Uh, was it on your radar? Uh, what do you think about it moving forward? As I look at the brand of the city of Chicago, uh, Chicago is one of my favorite uh, cities. I, I really hope that the new mayor is able to kind of uh, ride the momentum of a tough win. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, really start to turn some things around. Um, I have to say, I was very surprised that Rahm Emanuel was not able to capitalize on his national popularity and do more in Chicago. So I know Chicago, um, like Baltimore, but different than Baltimore, has lots of problems as, uh, as a city goes, but I'm mm -hmm. hopeful that the new mayor can, uh, can jump in and attack those problems. You can only ride those coattails for so long, and I think Lori Lightfoot is the uh, is the right person, at least as far as Chicago is concerned. The, the citizenry is concerned. She's uh, she's up to the task. Uh, John, what say you? Uh, I agree. I like any uh, election result that continues to show how progressive we are um, as a citizenry. So on a lighter note, as we begin to wrap up this show, there's a uh, popular television show out there uh, by the name of Game of Thrones. I don't know if you've seen it. Um, and it seems that winter is no longer coming. It's here. So with HBO's Game of Thrones coming up here, the, the much anticipated, uh, much awaited uh, debut of its final, uh, final season here. Uh, what do we think? Are we, uh, are we prepared for this? Uh, uh, any any prognostications? Any speculation on uh, on what's going to happen here this season? I'm completely ready. So I'm I'm a Game of Thrones nerd. I, I don't I, I never really delved much into a lot of that other stuff when I was a kid. I never read Lord of the Rings. Wasn't into the movies. Um, not really into a lot of that stuff. Uh, but I got onto Lord of or I got into uh, Game of Thrones. And, and it hooked me. I'm in. Um, I, I find it so well done. Uh, you know, just acting, cinematography, everything. I think it's a really, really good program. People are just going to be so absorbed by these episodes. And you're talking about six, like, from what I've heard, they're like two-hour episodes. They're like movies. Mm. Um, so... You know, it, it's going to be really interesting to see how much that commands everybody's attention. And, and again, from the, um, you know, from the communication standpoint, it, don't, don't try to put out something important on Monday mornings for the next six weeks, because I really think that most of this country is going to be talking about 
the the absolute jaw dropping stuff that would have just happened on Game of Thrones the night before. Okay, all right. I, I am not a Game of Thrones watcher. Ah, we have the other side. Yeah, no, but I, I agree with John. I mean, I, I think HBO has done it again. Um, and, um, I, you, you know, just watching the buzz on social media and uh, in commercial advertising, I mean, this will be a big deal and uh, it will grab people's attention. Um, I think it's good. It'll be something other than politics uh, for them to pay attention to. So between Game of Thrones and uh, you know this golden time of sports that John has talked about the last couple episodes, um, I, I think it, it will be a nice break for people um, and hopefully will return conversation uh, you, you know to a more civil tone. Um, I, I don't think there's anything uh, controversial about Game of Thrones, right? I mean that you know you won't have to argue uh, a la Republican and Democrat. So maybe. <laughs> It'll bring there, there are a lot of relatives who have sex together, and uh, that's that, that whoa, seems to be. Yes, yeah, it's, it's a little bit. It's a little right. bit odd, but I, other yeah. other than that, other than the incest, it right. seems pretty free of controversy. Well, that, there you go. So people can <laughs> kind of take a break and relax and enjoy uh, the civility of talking Game of Thrones and uh, and sports for the next couple weeks. There you go. There you go. Masters coming up. I I will say that I am afraid of the White Walkers. All right. <laughs> Gentlemen, thank you so very much. Uh, really appreciate uh, your time today, and uh, I, I look forward to getting together next week. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us here on Three Season a Pod. Uh, we always welcome your feedback, so please take your time and, and leave a comment below. And until next week, be good, be safe, and be better. Thank you for listening to Three Season a Pod. Have a great week.